It's time for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Doug is a certified financial planner, providing you with a personal financial hotline to answer your questions about tax planning, investments, retirement planning, estate planning, and education planning. Doug and Linda are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing financial and investment services since 1983. Doug and Linda will be answering your questions on WPTF's phone lines anytime during the next hour. Call 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Call toll-free 1-800-662-7979. And for mobile phones, it's star 680. And now, Doug and Linda Lewis and Money Matters. Hello there, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters with Doug and Linda has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all of your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 20 years. And again, with me as usual tonight is my wife, Linda, who works with me in our firm, Lewis Financial Management. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. Doug and I are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing investment in financial advice since 1983. For over 20 years, we've been answering your questions on the WPTF phone lines. They are your questions and our answers. So sit back and enjoy, or if you're free, call us tonight on the open lines. We'll take your calls anytime during the next hour. You're free to call in and ask any financial question about your own personal financial planning. Call us at 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Or you can call us toll-free long distance at 1-800-662-7979. Well, financial planning is everyone's business, and still for most folks, money matters are just a big puzzle. Folks have questions about planning for retirement, planning for a child's college education. They don't know the difference between financial planning and money management. They want to know a lot these days. They want to know what's a mutual fund, what's a limited partnership, what's a REIT, what's a will, what's a living will. And yes, it really can confuse you, but you're not alone. Because in a world crowded with new investments, changing tax laws, rapidly evolving insurance products, and volatile economic cycles, more and more people are looking for clear direction in their financial lives. And yet, unfortunately, the busier and the more successful they are, the less time they have to sort out their financial affairs, and people are asking, is there any solution? Well, yes, Doug, there certainly is a solution. Out of this increasingly complicated financial environment has come a new breed of professionals that are trying to solve people's money puzzles, and that's the Certified Financial Planner. It's the certified financial planner who offers something that people don't get from the traditional stockbroker, money manager, accountant, insurance agent, or bank trust officer. And that's a way to consolidate all aspects of people's financial affairs into one financial plan. It's the certified financial planner who knows how to pull together all six areas of a client's financial life. Doug, I think for many people, the first area of financial planning is cash flow planning with questions about their emergency fund, their mortgage, their credit cards, and reducing their debt. Well, yes, Linda. And yet for many people, the second area of financial planning is retirement planning. Those who are working want to know how to compute what they'll need to live on during retirement. 
and how much they should be saving for retirement. They want to know what investments they should choose from the choices in their company's 401k plan. Others are retiring and have received a lump sum payout option from their company's retirement plan, and they want to know, should they take it, and if so, how should they invest it? Well, Doug, the third area of financial planning that must be dealt with is estate planning. For most people, over their working years, their estate has grown. How can they reduce their estate taxes? And they wonder, are their simple wills sufficient, or maybe they should be considering the complicated world of trusts? If that's the third area, Linda, the fourth area of financial planning cannot be overlooked. This is tax planning. People are interested in both tax reduction strategies and tax reduction investments. Home mortgage interest, charitable giving, tax shelters, tax-free bonds, questions about capital gains taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, and how to sell real estate tax-free using trusts. What a confusion. Well, Doug, we can't forget the fifth area of financial planning, which is insurance planning. How much life insurance does a family really need? Do they have too little insurance or maybe too much insurance? Should they have whole life, term, or universal? Should they have long-term nursing care coverage? You're right, Lynn. And of course, the sixth and most important area of financial planning is investment planning. Here, the questions never stop. What's the best way to diversify my investments? Is now a safe time to invest in stocks? What about bonds? What kind of stock mutual funds? Bond mutual funds, equipment leasing partnerships, REITs, CDs, gold, annuities. So, Doug, it seems that at last it's time for people to understand that a certified financial planner is really the only one who can tie together all six parts of their financial puzzle. And to you out there listening, if you've got a question on your mind about cash flow planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, insurance, or investments, Call us now on the open lines and we'll answer your financial planning questions. Those numbers to call are 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Out-of-towners, call us toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. And if you just want to sit back and listen to the callers through the years, welcome to the show. Investments offered through HBEC, Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. Lewis Financial Management and HBEC Inc. are not related entities. Well, Doug, good evening. Deborah, good evening. And it's great to be back. Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Oh, it's a nice night to be on the air. (laughs) NC State is is a happy, happy camper tonight. Boy, you go down Hillsborough Street and they are just going crazy in front of the bell tower. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, Wolfpack. Go Wolf. It was pretty exciting up to the last second, literally. Yeah, we've had a lot of excitements. The market's exciting. It's booming over. Boy, we've got some mutual funds now that are up almost over 15% just so far year to date. The markets are doing well. The market's over 13,000. It is. It's been over 13 now, but not only not only so, uh, we've got a good basketball season. <laughs> well, and we've got good weather. Those, we've got good those weather. Those boys, they've been working hard. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good things to talk about. Well, Doug, um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. There was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, how some folks uh, – need to figure out how to handle sudden wealth because they become too rich too soon. Did you see that article? 
Well, I, I saw that article. I thought it was really good at pointing out some of those general questions that we always get in the office of, what do I do now that I have this dilemma in front of me? Yeah, there's all kinds of clients we've seen through the years that have this dilemma. There are those that we call the uh, the blood money, the the sudden inheritance, and the guilt that goes with it because it came from the death of a parent, and the child, the adult child, has received this large inheritance. Uh, there's all kinds of situations. Then there are those that have just accumulated a large, large amount, and suddenly they've lost their job, and a huge amount is on top of them. Now in but a rollover or a the, large retirement plan, or sold a business. The ones that have, but so often people fantasize about getting a life-changing windfall, but actually there are very few people who know how to how to make it last, and. Whether it's athletes or actress, actors and actresses or lottery ben, winners, lottery winners. Uh, the problem is that people need to have a game plan and learn from the mistakes that others have made. Yes, these life-changing windfalls uh, can just as quickly vanish. And this is, this is what advisors say that work with these suddenly wealthy uh, individuals. And... Um, well, what are some of the key, you know? Well, I think what the, the biggest thing that needs to happen is to realize that you need a, a team of advisors. You need some serious help. You're going to have to answer a lot of questions, whether it's retirement, how to keep it, how to not spend it, how to not be taken advantage of, how to protect yourself against taxes. Those of us that are advisors, we realize that the first thing is buy some time. Buy some time, go slowly. Don't go ahead and make sudden, irreversible decisions because if you uh, become a sudden new millionaire and you make the mistakes, history says that most people who have fallen in that situation, they later regret it seriously. And so uh, there's, there's all kinds of, 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 of horror stories out there. There's one organization called the Sudden Money Institute. But really, the first thing I always tell clients is, let's go slowly. Let's buy time and think this thing through. There's a lot of emotion, and we have to get past the emotional area. So that's the first thing. What are some other strategies that, that advisors recommend, Doug? Well, after we've... After we've we, of course, you have to get an advisor. Now, to try and do it on your own, that's like trying to do brain surgery on yourself, you know, or scratch your own elbow. It just, it's its an impossible situation. Well, I mean, right, with your right hand, yes. Yeah, my right hand will scratch my left elbow, but my right hand can't scratch my right elbow. Well, I don't and, know about that. <laughs> right. Some people but, might be able to do that. Okay, you got to have an advisor. You got to get an advisor, and you have to have an advisor who is going to give you advice, not one who's going to try and sell you something. And then once you've got your advisor, that person, of course, should be a certified financial planner in education, should be a fee-based financial planner who is selling advice by the hour, let's say. But the first thing after that is buy time, go slowly, and then count your money, lock it up. In other words, do a true analysis of how much there is before any important investment decisions. 
You've got to be able to go ahead and take an inventory of all of the assets, of course, the liabilities. We've got to go ahead and set uh, um, an expense allocation out there. Do we and need we, to think about taxes? We also want to make sure that Subtract we've taken care taxes. of taxes. Exactly. Uh, you've got to have some sort of a workable estimate before you can go forward and even a realistic estimate of how long, how long it will last. So that's what I just call count your money. And once you have an advisor, isn't it usually a good idea to let that advisor be the one who might, so to speak, protect you from someone who's unscrupulous or um, asking you to invest in an investment to say, well, why don't you talk to my advisor? Right. The money needs to be placed in a safe uh, lockaway place like a money market account. And then with the advisor running interference, all the, uh, the, the sharks that are coming after you, that's the one that is directed. That, that's where the advisor should be the, the one who gets all the calls sent to him or her. You know, so then the third it, thing. Isn't it important, too, that sometimes the temptation to help family members can be uh, something that you should be concerned about? Yeah, you don't want to. And it's unfortunate, but as soon as you have won the lottery or received the inheritance or whatever the large sum is, they come out of the woodwork. All the problems of the family members. And that's where it's crucial really to have the financial planner who can be the excuse. Well, my, I need to run this by my financial planner because making loans or gifts or business ventures to family members, I've seen so many of those through the years. You have to have to really uh, be very hard and think of yourself first. So we come then to the third thing. And the third thing is don't be a sucker. Don't be a sucker. You're going to be besieged by all of these don't miss, can't miss. This is a slam dunk type of investment opportunity. Uh, Let the advisor be the bad cop. Let the advisor be the one who says, I'll research that investment. The temptation to go ahead and get into uh, some of these investments has to be resisted, just like the temptation to help out family members. So I would say that's the third thing. Don't be a sucker. But then the fourth thing has to be plan. Plan the estate. You know, right off the bat, you need to go ahead and understand that you've got income taxes. Uh, You want to double check your estate tax situation. You want to double check your will, update any beneficiary designations, want to make sure that you might have an ex-wife somewhere in the background or ex-husband who has children and that you're protected from anything like that coming up if something happens, God forbid, to you. You want to make sure that you don't unwittingly give your assets to someone that you don't intend to. One really good option, by the way, there is what we call a springing power of attorney, which doesn't take effect immediately, but springs into effect after you might have become incapacitated. Incapacitated, yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Another thing I like, of course, is the revocable living trust, uh, which does an even better job than the springing power of attorney. And then in the estate documents, you want to check with your advisor whether you need a bypass trust, otherwise known as a credit shelter trust, to move your assets to your children, let's say, after your spouse has passed away with the least estate taxes. 
So when one spouse dies, the trust allows the maximum amount of money that is shielded from estate taxes to go in with both the remaining spouse and any children that the couple may have uh, to be named as the beneficiaries. Right. That's that's the credit shelter trust, and that's the way that the best estate plans are worked out. Uh, we have to be careful because right now they're getting ready to possibly have a change. Uh, the you know Congress increased the amount that could go tax free at that second death uh, from it used to be six hundred thousand, then it got up to be a million, then it got to two million, then to three and a half million, and a couple of years ago it was five million with the possibility of moving it to ten million. Mm-hmm. But guess what happens at the end of this year? It drops back to one million dollars. One million. And so we have to be very careful uh, that our wills and our trust are up to speed. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And we're talking about how to handle sudden wealth. So if you've got a question about your wealth or your investments, call us on the open lines right now at 860-WPTF. That's 860-9783. And if you're coming back from the beach or you're out of town, call us toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. Then the last couple of things to do are to do your investing thinking long-term. Long-term conservative investments, and once it's all in place, have some fun. Carve out some of the fun things you want to do. When you've got it all laid out like that, then you're you're okay. But be aware that the too rich, too soon, sudden wealth syndrome can be a recipe for disaster. And in most cases it is. So work with the advisor, a certified financial planner who can help you. And I think that in general can apply to even if we're not talking about the too rich, too fast, but just the richer than I've been before now group of people, for example, retirement plans. That's right. And um, even smaller amounts of inheritance, just anything that all of a sudden you do need some professional advice with. That's exactly right. And especially if you've sold a business, because once, uh, you know, here you are, you've you've spent decades uh, taking care of the practice diligently, taking care of your employees, and all of a sudden... Uh, you know what has grown working working with your planner your advisor to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row right because once the contract's been signed and then when reality descends and you sign the papers then the headache's gone right Doug (laughs) because now you can enjoy the fruits of your labor (laughs) but it is important to plan isn't it and work with a competent advisor that can assist you with answering your questions, give you direction um, as you uh, are going into retirement, as you're going into um, enjoying these assets, and as you said, make sure you have fun along the way. Well, Doug, another interesting article was was about the pitfalls of investing in your employer. What about that? I was so happy to hear that that subject is now becoming a popular topic in the financial presses. You know, for many years, I've been the bad guy telling clients that come into our office, never invest in your own company. And you know, the article, and it was, it was a Wall Street Journal article, and it began 
by talking about the stupid investments that people can make out there in the world. And then it went right on to say, but the most foolish investment of all may be right in front of you. And there's a worrying chance that you are buying it. And of course, it went on to say that investment was stock in your own employer. And I've been telling people that for so long, it almost sounds like a broken record. I don't know why people don't get the message, but yes, indeed, employees are still investing in the the stock of their own companies. Uh, Actually, between 16 and 19% of the 401k plans that are out there are, uh, are, 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 are invested with, well, let me say it the other way. The 401k plans right now are showing between 16 and 19% of the uh, holdings of, of the holdings being the stock of the employer. I mean, if you work for IBM, if you work for uh, uh, Cisco, Jackson, if AT&T. you work for uh, any company, you should never have any stock in your own company. And I always like the logic you use behind it, which is you've been the employee, you've received your paycheck, you've been loyal, in other words, you've worked, and now you've gotten paid for it, take your money and invest it somewhere else. Right, Deborah. You need to reinvest in Don't the Don't give it back to your employer. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> You take the money that you received and you go invest it now. That's exactly right. I and you know, the logic, Deborah, is this. You've already got a very big investment in your own employer. You work there. If you're hoping to work there for some time, it may be the biggest investment in your entire portfolio. All the time, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, 20 years and so forth. And there are legions and legions of workers who made the hugest mistake by doing exactly what they should never do. And they became two-time losers. They lost their job. And they lost their retirement plan that had the stock of the company in it. The employer collapsed. They lost their incomes. They lost their savings. You know, just think of the companies. Think of the employees at Enron. Right, absolutely. WorldCom. One of the saddest stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about Bank of America? Oh, terrible. Citigroup. And I think a lot of people mistake loyalty for, I'm going to get rich off my company. (laughs) you're going to be the last to know if something goes wrong. You'll be the last to know. They do not know. No company, when it's in difficulty, sends out a notice to the employees saying, by the way, we're about ready to lay off huge numbers or getting ready to go under. It doesn't work that way. And so buying stock in your own employer is a no-no amongst those of us that are in the know. And that's what I think a lot of people forget is that employees buying company stock think that they will have some influence over how it does. You know, if I'm a better employee, if we collectively are better employees, our stock is going to go up or down. And no matter how hard you work, you won't have any real material effect on the share price. No, not not at all. And quite frankly, even the CEOs themselves, if you, if you check insider money, you will find out that most of them, when they get their stock, they turn around and they sell it. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And thanks for joining us this evening. And if you've got a question about your situation, whether it's estate planning, investments, retirement, or cash flow, call us on the open lines at 860 WPTF. That's 860 9783. Toll free at 1 800 662 7979. All right, Doug, let's take another call. 
How can I help you, Max? This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, good evening, Doug. Uh, I'm a small uh, sole proprietorship. We're trying to increase uh, our possible cash flow with a loan. And with that loan, we're trying to figure out the best place to invest it so that we've got uh, the ability to make more sales, uh, buy more capital equipment, and the usual. How much are you, how much are you wanting to How much are you going to be borrowing? Uh, $300,000. You're going to borrow $300,000, mm-hmm. and you want to go ahead and establish, I guess, a revolving credit line against it? Is that what you're thinking? Uh, that's one of the options that I was thinking about. Uh, what do you see as the maximum amount that you will need out at any one moment? Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 155 to 175 all right, I'll tell you what you can do, and this, and I'm not going to recommend this on the air, but I'll give it to you as a strategy, and if you'd like to call my office to set up an appointment, I'll actually get the real specifics from you, and then I can make a real recommendation, but okay, just sure. generically, you could do this. You could go ahead and structure a mutual fund portfolio balanced with uh, balanced funds, asset allocation funds, short-term bond funds, intermediate-term bond funds, but you could go ahead and get a portfolio designed that we could comfortably feel is not going to suffer any major disaster. Right. Now, number two, you can put that into margin, a margin account, okay. where you actually are able to borrow against yourself. Oh, okay. And you can then, but you can, you're limited to 50%. Right. So you could have outstanding at any one moment, you could write a check of $150,000 against that at any moment and not be forced to sell any of your mutual funds. So let's say you needed to take out twenty-five or $50,000. You'd write a check against it. You're basically leaving your own mutual funds as collateral against your loan. Okay. But you're not going through a bank. You're doing it against yourself. There's no credit approval. There's no, no loan application. It's your own money. But you don't have to liquidate or surrender your investments. Okay. Uh, and then as your money came back, you dump it right back. You pay back your own loan against yourself, but your investments had never been changed. Uh, tax consequences? Uh, there would be tax consequences on, no, no, as a matter of fact, you, you wouldn't be liquidating. Okay. So there's no tax consequence. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, there'd be some tax benefits to you. It'd be investment income, and I mean investment interest expense. Okay. But no, I would say uh, you could get out of the tax arena there because there'd be no liquidations, therefore no capital gains to worry about. That's a bonus. Okay. Fantastic, and I'll give you a call. That number to call in Raleigh, Max, is 8727000. That's okay. USA 7000. And thanks for calling. Thank you very much. Recently, um, I heard someone say that your house is your biggest investment. Yeah, it was probably Isn't that a, re- a false well, statement the person according who made that to st- financial planning principles. The person who made that statement was probably a real estate broker. P- probably, possibly. Or- very, I mean, that's very common language from people who are trying to make sales of homes. But no, a home is not an investment. We have to come back to what is the definition of an investment. And before you get to an investment definition, you have to come down to everything on your financial statement is either going to be one of two items. It could be on the left or the right. What are those two items, Deborah? An asset or a liability. Exactly. There's only two kinds of things on your financial statement, assets what and liabilities. And assets what are what you own. Liabilities are what you owe. What you owe. Then you come your down debts. to those assets. Uh-huh. They break into two categories. There's only two kinds of assets. Use assets and 
investment assets. assets. All assets are either use assets or investment assets. So now we come down to, well, what's an investment asset? An investment asset is something that you buy that you want to go ahead and later sell or you buy it because it's going to help support you or you buy it for investment. And actually, there is risk when you are involved in the world of investments. So investments are things that you buy that you know have risk attached to them. Therefore, investing for your future. A use asset is something you buy because you want to use it. Your automobile. Automobile is a use asset. Your home is a use asset. Your jewelry is a use asset. All those you buy because you want to use them. Personal property. If you buy yourself that motorcycle, you don't really concern yourself if when you go to sell it, five years later, you sold it for less than you paid for it because you had the enjoyable use out of it. And the same with a home. A home actually is a physical thing that is depreciating. That's why pieces of real estate can sometimes even give you depreciation. It's being used up. It's a use asset. It is not an investment asset. And unfortunately, many people get very confused calling their investment portfolio uh, or having their investment be uh, their home be one of the biggest things in their investment portfolio. And you're exactly right, Linda. Homes are not investments. Well, thanks for clarifying that. You're listening to Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF with Doug and Linda and Deborah Lewis. And if you've got a question about your situation, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on the open lines right now at 860 WPTF. That's 860 9783. And toll free 1 800 662 7979. Yeah, I was going to say, Linda, earlier we were talking about the suddenly wealthy. Yes. And I know that a lot of financial planners are using the Whitney Houston case of what happened there without having all of the, the details. They're using it as an example to educate or an educational tool to educate their clients of the kinds of things that should be done and what should not be done and how to avoid some big, big problems. And they're finding it a very useful tool. Many years ago, we had Groucho Marx and his situation as a tool that we used to go ahead and explain to people. But in the case of Whitney Houston, the first thing that everybody realizes is, well, what happened to her daughter? What did she inherit? If yeah, if, if someone is to uh, be involved in an accidental or, or prematurely die and they do have young children, the first question is, how much do you want to protect that child from whatever their inheritance is going to be? Exactly. Exactly. You have to always ask yourself when you're doing your own estate planning, how could my child handle and even my adult child of 18 years old or 20 years old or 30 years old or whatever age could that child of mine handle a large amount of money, whether it be hundreds of thousands or many millions? And when we realize that in most cases, uh, as these life events occur, the sudden dumping of a large amount of cash or inheritance into the hands of the child is the most damaging thing. So the 
it can be a big temptation. It can be. It can be dangerous. It can they be. They may not know how to manage it. And at the very least, it's a huge responsibility. It is. And so we need to work with trusts. And there's some wonderful trusts that we use in, in, in our office helping. Uh, I don't know if she had a trust set up for her daughter. She should, she should have had two things, in my opinion. Number one, she should have had a revocable living trust for herself that said if she became incapacitated, this is Whitney Houston, not okay. the daughter, if she became incapacitated, then somebody else would take care of her, uh, of her assets to take care of her. And then in that trust, there should have been a statement that said, if I die, everything goes to a children's trust and the child will not get all of my estate. The child will get some of the income from it. And then maybe at age 35 or at age 40, maybe 20% of it or 25% of it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe five years later, another. This is what should have happened. And I believe it wasn't there because, as I understand, there were some serious, uh, I think her her daughter had some really serious uh, uh, effects after her mother died. And regardless, it's a great um, lesson, like you were saying at the beginning, for all of us. Um, who are talking with people to make sure that the client is aware of and protected against these things. In a situation like, uh, especially Whitney Houston's situation where she had a divorce, it's it was important to make sure that uh, her will was updated. Right. That if she did have any trust, that they were, you know, were assets um, uh, retitled. Right. To fund the trust. And also... Uh, Insurance, insurance policies, policies that's right, were they beneficiaries. Updated? And who were the beneficiaries? So the, that's a question that uh, is definitely a, a lesson to be learned. More and more financial planners are using the Whitney Houston case as a tool to teach their clients. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And hope you're enjoying this lovely Sunday uh, evening. And uh, perfect weather we're enjoying. So call us on the open lines at 860-WPTF. That's 860-9783. Toll free if you're out of town at 1-800-662-7979. Well, there was an article uh, called the Yield Play on Loan Funds, and it really caught my eye because there are a lot of investors who are pumping huge amounts of cash into just about any bond-related product they can find, with one exception, so-called floating rate funds. Yeah, the the good news in the investing world recently, of course, is the stock market is doing very well. Uh, stocks are very uh, high. The market looks very good. But over on the other side of the investing world, the bond markets are, uh, I mean, folks that are used to be bond investors, they can't get any income anywhere. And they're pumping lots of money into just about anything that has an, uh, a yield to it because money markets give virtually nothing and just about CDs are giving nothing. These floating rate funds, they are very interesting. And most people may be missing out on the opportunity to diversify by getting these floating rate funds, they do give more yield and they have less risk. And many people don't even know about them. Now, what people do know is 
I need interest. I need a yield. And so where do they typically go when they're looking for more yield? Bonds. And what kind of bonds? Uh, high uh, Junk bonds. Junk or, bonds, yeah. otherwise known as high yield high bonds. Yield and bonds. So, that's mm-hmm. right. And so the junk bond funds, the high yield bond funds, they have seen an enormous inflow. Over $25 billion have go- has gone into the junk bond funds just so far this year because people need income. But it's been a really different story with these floating rate funds. And these floating rate funds, are it's sort of interesting, they buy bank loans made to below investment grade companies, but investors traditionally look at these as a hedge against rising interest rates. And that's, very in, that's, that's a very interesting logic there because just like junk bonds, if interest rates go up in the future, they probably will not be hurt as much as traditional bonds. Any traditional bond or high-grade bond fund is going to suffer when interest rates interest rise. Interest rates rise, exactly. But the high-yield bonds probably won't, and these floating-rate bonds certainly won't because they're conceived as a hedge against rising interest rates. But there's another whole side of the story about them which make them interesting, and that is they are less risky. They uh, they do have floating rates, so if interest rates go up, they go up. And now some of them even have floors. They're usually tied to a to a to an index like LIBOR. But many of them even have a floor. So these floating rate funds now are seen with floors. They're paying sometimes five percent or better interest, and they're uh, they're sort of being missed by a lot of the investing public. And not only that, because they are very often uh, uh, collateralized, recovering principal is not at all the kind of risk that you face when you're looking at the high-yield bonds. Collateralized meaning that the company behind it would actually... Yeah, the loan holders are generally the first ones to get paid back in a default. That's what happened with General Motors. Okay. They got back their money. And they usually recover more of their principal than any of the owners of the bonds. So uh, they're, uh, they're out there. And the article that you're talking about, Deborah, yes. it was in the Wall Street Journal, and it pointed to a fact that the high-grade, the high-yield bond funds and the investors who are looking for more yield should be looking at these floating rate funds. So if you like high yield bonds, you should like loans even more. That's 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 exactly right. Wow. So these loan these these uh, loan holders are generally the first to get paid, right? Yeah, if they're collateralized a, by the assets of the company. That's exactly right. Well, very okay. good. Okay. All right. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that uh, more and more people are seeing the need for financial planning. Wouldn't you say, Doug, in the last decade, more and more people are more aware of the need to do financial planning? I am seeing that, and I'm seeing more women. I'm seeing more women being aware that financial planning is not just for the ultra-wealthy. They're looking at Social Security. Uh, Many women are single and considering Social Security. They want to know... Uh, what's the right way to approach it? Um, should they go ahead and, and take that 
early retirement check at 60, age 62 if they can. And these are the kinds of decisions that the uh, this element of society is finally approaching the financial planning community. And I think you're going to find a lot more of that, whether it's you know a pro or a con, there's just a lot more of the 40, 50, and 60-year-olds who are either retiring single by divorce or the spouse died or single by choice. That's right. And as we become a larger population, there's just going to be a lot more of those folks who are going to be asking the same questions. When's the right time to take Social Security? Does it matter when I take it? And women are successful. And have become much more successful. More and more because uh, they're running businesses or they own businesses. And especially if you're running the business, you're so busy running it that sometimes you procrastinate about um, taking care of your own affairs. But just women being in the workforce since 1940s, we all have retirement plans and things to consider now. So it is very important if you're a woman and you're listening to the show, write down your questions. You may have questions about your retirement plan, whether or not you should be contributing to the match or to the max. And what about estate planning? Don't procrastinate. We're still in, the, in a new year here, and it's time to address financial planning. And those of you that are, uh, if you haven't done your taxes, that are preparing for your taxes, uh, make sure that you get uh, all of the deductions that, uh, that you can. You've probably gotten all those uh, statements and 1099s and W-2s, et cetera, in preparation. And Doug, financial planning fees are a deductible expense as well. It's very interesting. If you're paying a commission to a stockbroker who calls himself a financial planner, they're not deductible. But if you're paying a fee for advice to an advisor who is charging by the hour, those fees are deductible. That's exactly right. And isn't there a lot of discussion these days about the difference between the the two ways you can use the words fee-based? There's fee-based financial planning and then and fee and commission. Well, well, help us with that distinction. Yeah, the advisors are being alerted to the fact, and, and, and in light of what you just said about women, specifically I'm reading that women are wanting answers from advisors, and advisors are not giving their female clients the most pressing question that they want an answer from, and that is what's the difference between fee-based and commission-based? So that distinction is what the financial advisory firms are being pressed to give to their clients the difference between fee-based and commission-based. Okay, so let's get that clear because there's another question even more important. Commission-based is very simple. You're going to go ahead and see somebody. They're going to sell you a product, a mutual fund, a stock portfolio, whatever it is, they're going to be paid by the commissions that you make on it. That's commission-based. Fee-based is where they quote you a fee and charge you a fee, usually a percent of how much money that you're going to give them to uh, to work with. And they're sometimes called fee-only planners, fee-based planners, but it's on the fee. Now, the bigger question is, Are you getting fee-based money management or fee-based financial planning? And that's the real question that you should be asking. 
The difference between fee-based money management and fee-based financial planning is that fee-based money management is where you sign a limited power of attorney. You give your advisor maybe a half million dollars. Some of them are as low as 250000 Some are as high as a million. You turn that over to them. You sign a power of attorney and they buy and sell on your behalf. That is called fee-based money management. Some call it fee-only, but it's money management. And it's now, usually it's a discretionary account, right? That's exactly right. It's a, you, you sign over discretion by a power of attorney, and that person has discretion to buy and sell on your behalf. There is something else, however, called fee-based financial planning. This is what we practice in our firm. Fee-based financial planning is where you quote a fee and you give them advice on tax planning. Also investment planning, of course, and estate planning. Advice on their mortgage, advice on their investment portfolio, yes, but advice also on their wills and their trust. And what you are paying for, the fee is for financial planning. So that's the distinction that should be made. Are you getting fee-based money management or are you getting fee-based financial planning? Once you're clear on that, then you can proceed and decide what kind of person you want. And if you've got questions about your situation and you need some advice and you would like to meet with a fee-based financial planner, call us at Lewis Financial Management. That's in Raleigh. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. And we'll be happy to either send you some information regarding our services and speak with you and how we might be able to assist you in your situation to address your financial planning concerns. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you've got a question, call us on the open lines right now at 860 WPTF. That's 860-9783. Toll free, it's 1-800-662-7979. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're going to take a caller right now. Go ahead, Jerry. How can I help you? Doug Lewis. Yes, thank you. Uh... Uh, my daughter uh, blessed me with my uh, first grandchild six months ago. Mazel tov. Thank you. <laughs> That's congratulations. Yes. Um, and uh, consequently, I'm uh, thinking of, uh, of my will, uh-huh. with regard to a will. And uh, I was wondering, uh, are lawyers sufficiently uh, conversant with the matters that uh, you engage in to uh, be trusted, or should I see a financial planner first? That's a very good question. I'm glad that somebody finally asked that. No, they are not. We are not what they call a board certified state. Some states, they're board certified where they have to declare what they're specialist in. But no, attorneys are not versed in these. Some are and some aren't. You should be working with a certified financial planner who can work in tandem with the attorney, even help find the attorney so he can set up the strategy and the attorney can do the legal work. That's a very good question, Jerry. Uh, General reference to assets, property, and such in a will is not sufficient, from in your opinion. General reference? You mean for an attorney to know? Well, merely to refer in, in the matter of disposing of one's estate. Uh, you want to go through the numbers. I see. In other words, it's got to be numerically worked out, and that's where the attorney generally is not going to, he's not going to have that or whatever. Jerry, if you will call me at my office, I'd love to talk this more with you because this is a very touchy matter and, I, and it's one that's very dear to my heart because people get messed up real bad in this area. My number is 872 
you're right. Uh, gifting strategies Doug. and working with a proper attorney are crucial. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jerry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Well, Doug, um, you know, there was a, uh, a question here about the fate of the estate tax. Yeah, the estate tax is really up for grabs. You know, nobody really knows what's going to happen to the federal estate tax after this year. The estate tax is a tax that's paid to the IRS for transferring money from one generation to another. Some call it a death tax. Some call it an inheritance tax. Many countries don't have an estate tax at all. And there are uh, politicians in this country that feel it's ridiculous. We shouldn't have a tax. I paid my income taxes for years and years and years. I made my money. Then why do I have to go ahead and pay again when I give it to my children? But indeed, we do have an estate tax this year as we have for many years, and nobody knows what's going to happen to it after this year because it's a very hot political issue. The estate tax law that we have right now is scheduled to expire at the end of 2012. Well, for 2012, the top federal estate tax rate is 35%, and the basic exemption from that tax is a little bit over $5 million. So that says if you die this year, $5 million can go to your children, let's say, and anything over that is taxed at 35%. Well, if Congress doesn't do something, that's going to drop, and the top rate is going to go up to 55% from 35%. But the amount that can pass with the exclusion is going to drop from 5 million all the way down to 1 million. Wow, that's a big difference. That's a huge difference. That means pretty much huge. everybody, exactly. not everybody, but lots and lots, lots and lots of, and lots and lots of people are know, going to. If you to have, have real estate or if you have a corporation and you. Just think about it. You, you know, don't even need a corporation. Just no, just people with homes and retirement plans. Easy to bump over a million. So it's going to include a huge number of people if what is supposed to happen happens at the end of this year. Now, members of Congress have introduced lots of different legislation. Some of them uh, want to extend the present 2012 tax rates, which say $5 million plus 35% above that. Others want to kill the estate tax completely. And then there's all kinds of variations. They're critics of the estate tax itself, even are calling it a death tax. And President Obama has criticized the current law, saying he feels it gives a big tax break to the most affluent taxpayers, and he wants the nation to continue taxing the quote-quote affluent. Well, we don't really know what's going to happen, but you certainly should not do nothing. You should go ahead and be meeting with your financial planner and getting some information that your estate documents, you know, are 
are preparing for the worst. And, right, and, and, that's, and that's really what estate planning is. It's the in the God forbid situation. If I or both or my, my spouse and I were to die, what would be our expected tax burden? That's exactly right. So right now under current law, we would have those certain parameters and it might change. All right, let's take Richard's call, and then we'll see if we have time to touch one more item. Hi, Richard. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Oh, how you doing today? All right. Okay, the question I have, what about these parents that use their children to for financial gain, and usually a lot of times at the end of their, their lives, they'll, they'll change their will and leave that, uh, uh, that child out of the, uh, a lot of times they'll leave it out of the state if they... Remarry. Um, How do you mean, I, uh, I chil- yeah? Help, help me understand. Yeah. Huh? I've got both kinds of clients, so help me understand. Uh, uh, this is the situation. Okay, let's just say a person, uh, you know, was married the uh, first time, and you know they say, oh, let's say one child, and they use the child as their. Uh, well, I, you know, you know, you can put stuff in your child's name to uh, help you on your taxes and different things or used to could and well, that's what I'm hearing anyway and then when this uh, person remarries uh, they drop the child completely out of the will and you know, will to somebody else but then you know it, it's an embarrassment you know like to a child you know, and you know they ought to it looks like they would have a law to uh, circumvent that well, there there are there are laws, and uh, and you can't just go ahead and and move something to a child. But I have clients, and I don't know your situation, Richard, but I have clients who want to make sure that their children get nothing, and I have other clients that want to make sure oh, their children oh. get everything. What, what's your situation? Well, that that that's a situation. I'm, I was just talking in general because the person uh, I, it was a. It was a personal thing that I was uh, involved in, and the the child, you know, was just left out completely. But I just don't. Uh, well, think how, it, in, I, with I, regard to your own know, children, what is your feeling? What would you rather have your estate go to your children with less tax uh, or not at all? Well, see what this deal was, and then I'll tell you. Uh, it was this uh, situation like this: they they had the person to write down everything that they were going to inherit, and then they. Then they bumped them out of the deal at the end, which there wasn't no hardship reasons, you know, for no no meanness or nothing on the. Yeah, you can't do so. You can't do things like that without somebody challenging. And I'd have to look at the documents. But before we run out of time, tell me a little bit about yourself because uh, I do this for a living all the time. Yeah, well, on my on my own, I'm okay. I you know I, I've got that uh, that that floating thing you were talking about earlier. You know the like the, the revocable living like, trust. Yeah, and then you have it. That. Does your do your documents say that at your death? Are you married? No, I, I don't. I don't have any children, so I I, I, ca- I cashed out on the life insurance. So I don't have to worry about no beneficiary. Worried about you know which I know when you dead. So you so if you don't have any children, then where is your estate supposed to go, Richard? Well, most of mine will just go back to the creditors, I suppose. That's uh, that's where I'm gonna have it fixed. So you so you owe everything that you've pretty much your debts well, equal. Well, no, I don't. But I mean, they're saying that I don't. Well, it, it will go to some of the family probably, but it's uh, you wanna, could you I, could yeah you can leave it to charity. Oh, I know that, and know and that. that's probably the best way to go. Oh, I know that. You'd have to find a you know you, I found a couple of charities I know I trust. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank have you, a great Richard. Week.
You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 6.05 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.